and our reconciliation and our purpose. It's difficult to think of ourselves as sinners, but we are. We're all sinners. We're evil, even wicked in our minds. But we all try to do good. We try to do things that help others. We try to be nice to others. We try to be kind. But it's not about what they need. It's not about what we think we're doing. In our hearts, in our minds, we're still sinners. But we mean well. Don't we try to live the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We're having a few volume issues with the mic, so I'll just try to speak up. (laughs) But we fail constantly. The Bible shows us that no matter what we do, we're still going to fail. We can do nothing apart from God. He is our salvation. He is our rock. And his holiness cannot look upon us without a cost. And that cost was Jesus Christ. Because of our sin. Sin separated us from God because holiness can't look on us through our sin. Sin starts as a thought. Sin starts in our minds. And it works its way outward. You know, sometimes you just get a fleeting thought of, well, I'm just going to go in for a minute. I'm just going to go in and see what they have on the shelves. I'm just going to go in and, and yeah, no, maybe I shouldn't go over to that section. Maybe I shouldn't look at the books over here. But sin creeps in and it sways us unless, unless we ask God, stop us. Because it's a thought for just a second, but then we start to act on those thoughts. That's what trips us up. We're human. We're human. Life trips us up. It's easy to get tripped up unless you're in constant prayer. You have to be in prayer. You have to be in God's word. We're hostile to God in our thinking, which results in our disobedient actions. Jesus taught us that all sin begins within our hearts. Mark 7, 21 through 23. For within... Sorry, I was looking to see if it was going to get put up there. For from within, out of a pastor's, a person's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, all of these things, and foolishness. All of these vile things come from within. They are what defile us. Dealing with our sin isn't a matter of cleaning up our behavior. Behavior is easy enough to change for a moment, but it requires a heart change. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21. And all of your verses, by the way, are on the back of your bulletin. So when you take them home, you can look them up for yourselves. Don't rely on me to, to rely on the Bible. So those are all your verses on the back. He, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness, righteousness of God in him. God took our sin, placed it on Christ who was without sin. Then he took Christ's perfect righteousness and washed us clean in that righteousness. Take a moment to let that sink in. Jesus was without sin. 
but he took upon all our sins. He took our sins on. He took all those, those thoughts, all those things that we do that are sinful, and took it upon himself so that we could be washed clean. That's monumental, people. That is so monumental. It is a love so deep, so unconditional, so overwhelming, that even though we created the chasm between God and us, Jesus filled the gap. It's overwhelming. Why would God do that for us? It goes back to John 3.16. For God so loved the world, and we are part of that world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life or eternal life. In the church of Colossae, there were false teachings. They were attacking the truth of the gospel. They said Christ was not God and that further revelation was needed for salvation. Paul writes this letter to the Colossians to defend the supremacy of Christ. In Colossians 1, 19 through 20, Paul writes, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. Sorry, I'm having a really bad MS day, so the brain is not functioning the way, it sh- the way I think it should, but it's functioning exactly how God decided. So he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Romans 5 tells us, the 5.10 tells us, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Beloved, think of that word, enemies. Now, we all know we're sinners, but did you realize we're enemies of God if we are not aligned with him? That's a heavy word. Our sin separated us from God. Our sinful nature separates us from Christ, which stops us from knowing with him, fellowshipping, and loving God with all our hearts, all our souls, all our minds, and all our strength. God looks upon us with loving compassion and mercy. He withholds the judgment and punishment that we so rightly deserve. And he provides payment through his son, Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 tell us all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sin against them. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Jesus Christ alone can bridge the chasm between God and us. You can't do it. You can't do it. I can't do it. There is nothing on this earth that can bridge that gap, that can fill that gap, except Jesus Christ. Reconciliation is the work, the desire, and the plan of God. God made a way for us to be reconciled with him through Jesus Christ. Many of you know, my mom and I did not have a great relationship going up, growing up. She was drunk all the time. I spent a lot of time at my grandparents' house. They taught me about God. They planted the seed. I didn't adhere to it, 
I kind of ran away from it for a while. I became the rebellious, angry, self-destructive daughter. So when I graduated from high school, I took off. I ran away from my mother. I ran 3,000 miles away. I couldn't get much further. But I ran 3,000 miles away. And I thought, this is going to be so much better. My life is going to be so much better. But I continued my self-destructive patterns. I continued on my selfish ways. I stayed angry all the time. I dissociated with my mother. I no longer had a relationship with her. I didn't even talk to my father. I talked to my grandparents once a week. I continued on my self-destructive path and thought nothing of it. Then my daughter died. I fell apart. I didn't know where to turn, so I turned to immersing myself in church. And I thank God that he led me there. It was the only way I could survive it. Some of you here know the death of a child is, rips your heart out. I found a way to get through that. I found a way to survive through it and eventually thrive through it. And it was only because Jesus reconciled me to God. All my past had been forgotten. All my sins had been done. I started living for Christ instead of living for stuff. So 30 years, over 30 years ago, my mom got her first cancer diagnosis. They weren't sure she was going to survive the surgery. And I realized I had to put the past in the past. I couldn't hang on to that anger and that bitterness. I had to reconcile with her. It was an effort, but I asked God, help me, help me do this. So we started getting closer, and then my mom got another diagnosis of cancer after the surgery, and and I knew instead of running away from mom, this time I needed to run to her. I needed to reconcile, just as I ran to God when my world fell apart. I needed to run to my mother and make things right. Because she didn't have a relationship with Christ. And my fear was that she would die without him. I couldn't live with that. So I ran to her. I moved back 3,000 miles and I moved to Florida. And I stayed out here and I took care of her. And we built a relationship. A few years ago, my mother accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. In November, she passed away. But I know where she is. I have hope. I have peace because I know where she is. Because God reconciled him and I, me to him. And then he reconciled my mom and I. And then he reconciled my mom to him. I have hope. I have a peace that is so far beyond what I could ever tell you. And what's the coolest of all of it, my mom had hope. When she took her last breath, she said, I'm ready. I'm ready. She was not afraid. It was only, only by the grace of God that she was not afraid because he reconciled her to him. Paul tells us in Colossians, 
I gotta put my glasses back on, sorry. 123, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Here, Paul is telling the Colossians and us that all the responsibility falls on us to remain grounded, steadily growing in our faith. We too, like Colossians, must be fully aware that there are false teachers of the gospel. The only way to stay grounded, the only way not to get tripped up by these false teachers is to stay grounded in his word. When we become complacent and full of ourselves, we become targets. We become deceived. False teachers are everywhere. Remember, Satan knows our every weakness. He's crafty. He's the father of lies. He knows when, where, and how to attack. If we do not keep our eyes on God, always we will fall for the lies. We are weak. Only through Christ can we be strong. And we have to stay grounded to Christ because we are not strong enough to endure all the dangers and all the attacks. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10:12, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. We must, we must make Jesus the cornerstone of our faith. Think about when hurricanes are looming off the coast. We hear on the news, oh, hurricanes coming, prepare, prepare, prepare. You see your neighbors boarding up houses. You see you're boarding up houses. You make sure every nail, every board, every brick, every everything is in place. You run to the stores. You stock up on juice. You stock up on water. You stock up on canned goods. We are prepared when it comes to a hurricane, are we not? We live in South Florida. We have to be. Hurricanes can destroy us. Hurricanes can devastate us. Do you remember Hurricane Andrew? Remember the pictures we saw? How many homes were destroyed? How many people lost their homes, their belongings, their earthly treasures? How many lives changed that day? Some people moved to Broward County believing that they would be safer. Some people even moved out of the local area. Some people even moved out of the state of Florida. The further away, the better, the safer they are. Picture after picture of what looked like bombs had gone off, annihilated structures. What struck me most when I looked at those, it wasn't the devastation around us. You could tell where the communities were. The foundations stayed strong. The foundations didn't budge. Hurricane Andrew took away the buildings, took away the stuff, but the foundation did not move. You could look at the pictures on the TV, and an aerial shot showed community, community, neighborhood, community. There's no houses there, but that foundation stayed. It did not move. That's who Christ is. That's who God is. He has to be the foundation of your life. We are prepared for hurricanes, but are we prepared for Satan to trip us up? Are we prepared, just like we prepare for the hurricane, do we prepare our hearts and our minds to stay grounded on the foundation of Christ? 
Because his foundation isn't moving. Satan can come along and destroy your world, destroy everything you own. Your foundation is solid. It's not going to budge. And it's going to hold you up. And it's going to contain you. So that when your earthly stuff comes crumbling down and your hearts just feel broken, your foundation in Christ is there. You will get through. Unless we are steadily grounded with Christ, evil can creep in and take us by surprise. 1 Peter 5.8 warns us, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Do you want to be the person he devours? I know I don't. That picture scares me. I need, I need to remain in Christ's word. We must remain. Like if in Hurricane Andrew, did you notice some of those houses remained? They were solid. They were brick. They were stone. They were built on that solid foundation. They stayed up, right? The wooden ones, not so much. Because even though their foundation stayed, they didn't. We must remain like those homes that are made of brick. We must be solid. We must be secure. Jesus must be that foundation. So that when Satan tries to trip us up with false teaching and lies... We have God's word written in our hearts, on our hearts, and we can discern the truth from the lies. Because Satan will take a truth and twist it around just a little bit to make you believe the lie. How many times do we look in that mirror and go, oh, I'm getting older. Even though your spouse or your friends say you look great, but you look in that mirror and you go, oh, look at that. I've got a couple more wrinkles. That's Satan's way of twisting lies too. Do you have a couple more wrinkles? It doesn't matter. Your looks really don't matter. But Satan knows that that's a weak spot for some of us. So he uses that and he twists it and says, ah, you're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not tall enough. You're not thin enough. You're not short enough. You're not bouncy enough. You're not loud enough. You're, not, you're too loud. All those things Satan uses to trip us up. But if we're staying firmly grounded in God's word, those things don't matter. Those are just earthly things. And they don't matter. We must persevere in our faith. Do you notice persevere is not a sit back word. You don't just sit and say, oh, I'm going to persevere through this. You have to act. You have to get up and do something. To persevere is to stick with something despite the difficulties, despite the trials, and despite the obstacles that arise. We must not lose hope or our passion to share the good news with others. We cannot persevere unless we have the power of God in our lives, written on our hearts. As John 15.5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I am then, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This verse alone makes it pretty clear. We can do nothing. I mean, it just tells us you can do nothing apart from him. You might have a temporary accomplishment. 
but you're not going to have an accomplishment built on Christ. You must, must have a relationship with Christ. He must be your foundation. Paul concludes in Colossians 1 by showing us that each one of us has a responsibility to work for the church. Colossians 1, 24 through 29 that Ryan read us. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives us the assurance, you the assurance of sharing his glory. So when we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us, we want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. That is why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Do you notice here... Paul didn't say, I'm doing this because I've got the power. I'm doing this because I want you to know. He's telling us, you have to be doing this to build the kingdom, to build his church. What is his church? It's not this building. You can have church in a parking lot. You can have church in a park. You can have church in a home. Church is not about the building. Church is the people. We are are the church. doesn't matter where you go. You're taking the church with you. You're fellowshipping with other Christians, with other people. You're bringing them to church. You can be fellowshipping with somebody that has no clue who Christ is. But they see by your actions that you're different. They see because you're sharing Christ with them. You're bringing them to church. It's not about the building. Even though Paul suffered many persecutions and afflictions, he was dependent on Christ's power to sustain him, to continue the work. Beloved, think about it. 2 Corinthians 2, 11, 23 through 28. Paul gave an accounting of his sufferings. Here was a disciple of Christ who was beaten. He was pummeled with stones. He was whipped for things he didn't deserve to be whipped for. He was imprisoned. He went hungry. He was thirsty. The list goes on. But yet he rejoices in all of this. He rejoices in those persecutions because he saw them as momentary things. They were not eternal. We too must look at our afflictions, persecutions, all those trials that come against us. They're temporary. They're fleeting. They're but a split second. They are not eternal. They don't matter. I know several of you in here are suffering from illnesses. Several of you are here are going through trials. Several of you here are getting frustrated and feeling the weight of the world on your shoulders. It's temporary, people. It's temporary. It is not eternal. But you persevere then we go back to persevering. It's an action word. You're doing it. 
Continue to persevere. Continue to stay strong. But do it in Christ. Because if you keep doing it on your own, if you're doing it under, for yourself, under your own power, you're going to fail. You're going to fall. Because you can't carry that weight alone. It has to be through Christ. He's broad enough. He's strong enough. He is our foundation. Paul realized his purpose. He was a messenger of the good news of Christ to those who don't know him. He's an encourager. As Christians, we cannot have an attitude of, woe is me, poor me, oh, I'm just having a cruddy day. I feel miserable today. Oh, I'm just going to give up. We can't walk around life like that. Because they're gonna, somebody's going to say, oh, so what do you do? Oh, well, I'm a, I go to church on Sundays. I can't go to the barbecue. I can't go to the movie with you. Oh, you go to church? But you're so grumpy. You're so miserable. I don't want to go to church if that's what I'm going to get when I go. They want to see you full of joy. We have to let them know joy comes from God. We have to be joyful. We have to look like we're enjoying life. Because if we're walking around like this, nobody wants to know you. Nobody wants to know why. And the first thing they'll do when they find out you're a Christian is go, oh, that's why. You're just miserable. I don't want to be a Christian if it's going to make me be miserable. If I'm going to suffer, I don't want to be there. Paul's sufferings took a backseat to his purpose. Ours must too. Paul is kind of like a modern day poster child for all us to see past our own sufferings and to look to Christ. You think about it. We have all these poster children. This cause is great. This cause is great. This cause is great. Join us. Join us. Paul is kind of like that for us. He suffered horrible unfair, unjust punishments. But he was still joyful. He was still rejoicing. Paul set a really high bar for us to follow. How our work for the church should be a priority in our lives. How we must do it with joy. We're servants of God. We have to have an urgency, a purpose, a goal. A goal with our friends, our neighbors, our relatives. Anybody that we come across that we can share Christ with. We must warn, teach, and share the gospel. If somebody hadn't done that with you, for you, would you be here today? You'd probably be laying back in your bed watching football or whatever sport is on. I'm not a big sports person. So whatever sport is on, that's what you'd be. You'd just be laying there chilling, doing that. Church wouldn't be a priority for you. We need to make every time we are with someone an opportunity to share Christ. We must be different. We cannot be like the rest of the world. Beloved, we are all sinners. But it's important to remember that our past does not define who we are. Our past is not out there for everyone to see. Before Paul's conversion to Christianity, he was born as Saul. He was a Pharisee, a persecutor of the church. Jesus changed his life. 
So who we were before Christ does not define who we are now. We must be reconciled to God. We must make the church our mission. I'm not talking again about the building. Church isn't a building. The church is his people. We must be purposeful in our encounters with others so that they come away with a burning desire to know Christ. Do you remember when you first heard about God? Like, oh, I'm so excited. I want to know more. And then as we became more and more settled in our Christianity, we became a little complacent. We kind of stopped having this burning desire. Every day you need to have a burning desire to be in God's word, to be with God. Do you know what it's like to fellowship with him? It is so exciting. You want to share that joy, that excitement with others. You want them to go and say, I want to be part of that. I want some of that. How do I get it? That's what you want to do. That's our job. That's what we've been called to do. Build his church. And the only way we can do that is to have the foundation in Christ. It's got to be built on God alone. It's got to be. It has to be. Please don't just pitch a tent somewhere and say, oh, I'm good. Because the tent's going to just blow away at the first ripple of wind. First rain, it's just going to fall apart. But that solid rock of foundation of God doesn't crumble, doesn't move. It doesn't matter what happens. Hurricanes can come and go. That rock is still there. He must be what you cling to. We cannot do that if we ourselves are not living a burning desire to know Christ more fully. Our job is not to judge, condemn, berate, belittle, or make anyone feel as though they don't matter and that they don't count. Whether they're Christians or non-Christians, doesn't matter. We are to love everyone with the same passion that Jesus loves us. You have to remember, not all of us were born Christians. Oh, wait, I don't think any of us were. We might have grew up in the church, but we weren't born Christians. So don't judge others. Don't berate them. Don't make them feel less. We all had to start somewhere. We have to share that with others. We must, we must be a people after God's own heart. His heart is his people. We must share the good news of Christ with others that don't know him. We must live out our purpose in the church. If you're a believer here today, you must make church your first priority. The church, again, is not about the building. Your mission field is the people. Your purpose is to share Christ with others so that they have a hope, a firm foundation. A purpose is to build the body. If you're a believer and you're not quite sure that your foundation is solidly built on the solid rock of Christ, that's okay. Don't give up. Make a study plan. Read your Bible every day. Make a plan to read your Bible in a year. 
You'll get there. You'll get there. He promises us that. He tells us, read my word, study my word. I am not going to leave you. I am going to strengthen you. I am going to solidify you to me because I've reconciled you to me through the blood of Jesus. So if you don't know where your, your foundation stands, read, study, ask questions. Who here is willing to answer questions if somebody has a question? See, we have several, Tom, Ryan, Mary, Jeff, Aaron. We've got people here that are willing to help you. Seek them out. And if you're not a believer and you want the security to withstand the storms of life, because let me tell you, the storms of life are coming. Whether you're a believer or not, the storms of life don't stop. If you want to know that you know that you know that you're clinging to the solid rock, if you want the blessed assurance that you have a firm foundation to be reconciled with God, to God, by trusting in Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Beloved, don't leave here without seeing somebody that raised their hand. If you don't have that security, if you don't know that you know that if you were to die today, you'd be with God. Seek somebody out. Don't walk out of here without being reconciled to God. His purpose is to reconcile us to him. It is our job to follow through. Don't walk away without knowing that. And if you're not sure that you want to take that step, talk to somebody. They're going to walk you through the process. They're going to help you figure out where you stand. God loves you so much gave his son to die for us. Time is short. We don't know when Christ will return. But we do know that the foundation of God will never crumble. The foundation of God is going to be what carries you through the storms of life. And the foundation of God is going to love you through all of it. Heavenly Father, we're just in awe of who you are. We thank you. We just thank you. Words are not enough, but we thank you, Father, for reminding us how much you love us, that we can be reconciled to you. Father God, just let us not walk out of these doors without knowing where we stand, where our hearts are, where our minds are. Father God, give us the courage to go up to somebody and say, you know what, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, can you help me? And give us the words to say. Father God, we just love you so much. We trust in you. We thank you for being a foundation that will never fail, never falter, never crumble but will be the rock that we cling to. Thank you for giving us such a blessed assurance that we are your children. We ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus.